Welcome again to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And I am Ian Woodington. And uh, as we always do, we will bring you our weekly recommendations. I'll start us off today, because it seems like every couple of weeks or so, I talk about Gareth Evans. And so the first one was The Raid, and I, I loved it. And the second one was The Raid 2, and I very much also enjoyed it. I would put The Raid in, in front of The Raid 2. And so, and Ian actually mentioned Apostle when we were talking about The Raid 2. Yeah, the, the Netflix The film. Netflix movie. And so, uh, I, you know, we watched it. And um, it follows Dan Stevens, and if you don't know, he's of Downton Abbey acclaim. Ooh. In case you're wondering, did you, were you never a Downton Abbey fan? I have not seen a single minute of it. Oh, wow. It's actually really good. Oh, Jesus. Fine. Um, anyways. You, uh, you, no British jokes you want to throw across the table at me? Nope. I mean, feel free. That's It's open season, man. I'll, nope. give, I'll give you... Nope. Take your best shot. No. Okay. You have to live being British, and so that's... Ah! Oh, I see what he did there. Yeah. Um, so anyways, <laughs> uh, Apostle follows uh, this uh, Dan Stevens character, and his sister... I don't know if kidnapped is the right word, but... She has gone to this religious island. It's kind of like a cult, and his family comes from money, and there's this letter that's basically said, bring us all this money or we're going to kill her. Well, I kind of got a, 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 a sorry to interrupt, I kind of got a, a, a Wicker Man vibe off of it, the original Wicker Man, the Christopher Lee one. I kind of got a little bit of that from it, the cultish island. A cultish island part of it, yeah, yes, yeah. but that's about probably where yeah, it yeah. ends. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it, it influenced it. Uh, and so he, he, he sneaks on a boat, and he gets there, and he has to sort of kind of fit in. And Michael Sheen plays the um, the kind of the leader of this group. Oh, he's excellent, actually. And he's great in it. He It's the most rugged and un-Michael Sheen I think I've seen him in a movie. And I, I really like, I like him in it. And you find out that there's some supernatural elements to this island. It's kind of metaphorical, and it's sort of its view on mother nature and and what's driving the energy and the the literal uh farm life and the the plants of the island itself so is it kind of a their their religion is sort of pulled from paganism but also pulled from christianity yes. as well okay. yes exactly. it's kind of like a, a meeting of the two worlds yeah um and it's beautifully shot i mean gareth evans i think knows how to use a camera and the cinematography is great and He's, he even manages to fit in a fight scene in here, which is pretty pretty cool how it how it comes about. Ultimately, I think you see a snippet of that in the trailer. Yeah, you do. You yeah. do see a little bit of that. Well, I I had mentioned this to you when you brought it up. It seems like the running time feels like it can't support the story. Well, and it it seems like they're trying to do more than they need to. Okay. I think the story what they're trying to say is pretty. It, it's obvious, and I think it takes it meanders a little bit. 
Could you say, would you say they could have done it in 90 minutes? Or? No. I think they probably could have done like a good hour, probably hour 50. Oh, okay. Um, oh, so not, you wouldn't have to lose that much. No, then. no, but it, and, and, and it's, it's all, it's, I'm not gonna, I don't know exactly when it's set. I don't know if it's specific, but it's not now. It, it definitely is in the past. Early 1900s? That sounds the, about right. The vibe I got? That sounds about right. And I don't know that I'm going to recommend it or not recommend it because I, I could see why people would hate it. And I could also see why people would really enjoy it. There are some strong performances in it and it's shot very well. And if the storyline grips you, then that's good. It, it, I wasn't unimpressed by it, but it was certainly a, a Gareth Evans drop off for me. I don't think he'll be known for this movie as, as time goes on. Um, but again, maybe it's just because we've been on Netflix a lot lately. I don't know because a lot of my recommendations have been on Netflix. But it's there. It's really easy to to find to watch, and I I would recommend the watch, but I don't know if I would recommend it. You know, I I don't know if it'll ever go. I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. But well, I, I don't think it's I, unworth the watch. I'm gonna go out of my way to see it. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Good that, that kind of cultish. I dig those kind of folk horror and may, kind and, of films. And maybe you'll you'll see something that I didn't. You know, yeah. that, that sticks with you a little bit more. Yeah, but, but it's been on the top of my Netflix list for a little while now. So there you go. Need to get around to it. Ian, what about you? So, as I mentioned before we started recording, I I feel like there is the opportunity for me to get on a soapbox here, and I don't want to do that, so please be a moderator if you feel like I go too far. Will then do. Stop me. So, and I'm also going to kind of ruin the magic of how we record, so to fill you in, we record four at a time, and we've... Ian! I know, what a jerk. I've spoiled the magic for all you people out there in podcast land. So... We're recording this. What's today's date? Are oh, you gonna give him the date? I'm giving the date. You suck. I know. It's today's a, it's, today's the tenth. Yeah. Uh, and this is going out uh, almost an entire month from now. Uh, December seventh, I think, is what we said this was. So by the time that this comes out, the film that I'm going to talk about has already been out for a month. So I'm going to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. Do it, my friend. I have been looking forward to at least some version of this film since about 2006, I think, when it was first announced, when De Niro's company, Tribeca, were going to, to put out a version of it that was originally going to feature Sasha Baron Cohen, which I got very excited about. I remember that. Because everybody knows him for, you know, Borat and Ali G and his, his you know, larger-than-life personas and his, you know, sort of the, those skits and fooling people into, mm-hmm. you know, believing that he is this character and he's got a very strong political sense of humor, a very politically incorrect sense of humor. Anyway, I, I pictured him as the perfect Freddy and he's got an incredible singing voice as he is, as he has shown in things like Les Mis and in Sweeney Todd. He's yeah. one of the better voices in Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Anyway, so after years of production woes and different scripts being passed back and forth, anyway, if anybody doesn't know the story, Sasha Baron Cohen left production because of the script that he was given or one of the final versions of the script that he was given, Freddy dies halfway through. And then the other half of the movie deals with how the rest of the band, Brian, John, and, and Roger, dealt with it and then moved on. Well, okay, we're not here for that. This is We want to see a Freddy Mercury biopic. The man was larger than life. He has become, I'm, I'm not sure that he would have wanted to be, and this sure. is something I'll address in a moment, but he was kind of, he's been lauded as a sort of gay pop icon. Which is, I'm, from everything I've read about it, and I'm not sure that that's really what he wanted, because he was quite a shy man in his yeah. social life, apparently, when he wasn't being that larger-than-life man that we know on stage and in the studio. Um, anyway, so the, the version that we have now features Remy Malik 
and I haven't seen any of Mr. Robot. I don't know if you have. I, no, I haven't. I, I, I haven't mean, seen heard any good things. I haven't really seen anything else that he's been in, not prolifically anyway. I know that that Papillon remake bombed as well it should because Steve McQueen is the man. <laughs> And Dustin Hoffman played the Remy Malik part in that, and yeah. Dustin Hoffman is just wonderful in it. If you haven't seen the original, I, I haven't, but so I do know, I do so know about it. Yeah, I'm digressing quite a lot. So Remy Malik, I'm just going to call it right now. I don't. The Academy Awards race will be in full swing by the time this airs, and I really, really hope it's him. Not having seen, I haven't seen A Star Is Born. I haven't seen First Man. I haven't seen a lot of the things that I'm sure he's going to get a lot of awards attention. But I really would love to see Remy Malik walk with it because when I, in the same ways that Joaquin Phoenix and Jamie Foxx became Johnny Cash and Ray Charles, respectively, I mean, this is another great musical biopic performance. It is absolutely. St- I I'm watching Freddie as far as I'm concerned, and I've seen enough documentaries and and concert footage and things like that. I'm the biggest Queen fan I know. I know their discography inside and out. And so this this was a big deal for me going to see this film. I feel like this is going to become a Bohemian Rhapsody episode if I don't if I don't get to the point here. Anyway, when the trailer dropped, there was a lot of people that talked about how they felt like Freddie was being the lifestyle that he led was being heteroized. I don't even know if that's a word, but it was being like sort of hetero washed, if you will. Uh, because there are scenes of him and uh, the woman yes. in the earlier part of his life, Mary Austin, which is completely unfair for people to have seen, to have said that without having seen it. Because, I mean, the, f- the fact of the matter is that he was in a hetero relationship for many years. Mary Austin, the song Love of My Life on A Night at the Opera was written about her when he died. Most of his estate went to her, which he then turned around and used a good chunk of to fund the Mercury Phoenix Foundation to help combat AIDS. And, and it does, the way that his, it addresses his, his, the parts of his life where he did come out and, and finally, it, well, it doesn't really even deal with him coming out. And Freddie never really came out until much later in his life, very quite close to his death. He didn't announce that he had AIDS until the day that he died. And of course, the film doesn't, I'll spoil it for you now, it doesn't deal really with any of that. The, the AIDS thing is really almost an afterthought. I, I do feel like it's not been hetero-washed, but it's been kind of scrubbed of AIDS. It's been scrubbed of, you know, the stuff that makes a film like Philadelphia so important. Sure. And the thing that frustrates me the most is I know, you know, Roger Taylor, the drummer from Queen, and Brian May are credited as producers on this thing. And I would really love to see a film about Freddie without their involvement. Is, is the point that I'm getting to. There's something in, in the trailer that bugged me where the, the tagline is, the only thing bigger than their music is his legend. And there are certain film, things about the film where I go, no, well, that's not true. The only thing bigger than their music is Brian May's ego. <laughs> certainly in the ways in which they, they go out of their way to kind of vilify and make Freddy the villain at certain points. Like, they talk about the band breaking up in 82. Well, that never happened. The band never really broke up. I mean, yeah, they were a bit sore to him for going off and having a, a solo studio album, but they negate the fact that Brian May and Roger Taylor did the same thing. They had solo projects, too. And then they make the whole thing with Live Aid seem like it's a big reunion and that Live Aid wasn't making any money until they started performing and then people start phoning in and it makes a million, Live Aid makes a million pounds in the time that they're on stage. I mean, it's really, there's a lot of very egotistical things in this film that I I really don't think Freddie would have been proud of. So there are, there are a lot of things in this film 
to to like, and there are a lot of things that that I don't like. I I do urge people to see it based solely on Remy's performance, and I do I I would be over the moon to see him walk away with the Academy Award. Sure, I, it'll probably be something I see as I always do right before you know yeah. the couple months before the Oscars and just totally gorge on all of the Oscar movies and yeah, yeah. I, I well when when the time comes I'd love to hear your oh your absolutely will do yeah you being an actor as you are I mean I think you'll find a lot to really love about his performance great especially awesome. the, especially the scene where he comes out to marry oh yeah and uh, the thing that I really appreciated uh, about it is nobody nobody goes out of their way to call Freddie bisexual they call him gay well no he, when he comes out to her he says I think I'm bisexual and that for me was was a big win to call it what it was. Yeah. There you go. Great. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see it. You, you should be. Um, so getting into the, the movie that we're going to talk about today, and just want to briefly say that this is a direct recommendation from a Facebook follower. And I didn't get permission to say their name, so I'm not going to. Uh, and if I do, I'll put it on Facebook. But needless to say that we are listening to you you so, yes, listening thank to us. You. Thank you so much for this recommendation. It's, and uh, uh, we both knew of this movie. I think we, we recognized uh, the, the cover from, from Criterion. Again, another plug for Criterion. That cover is, is dynamic. It's great. And uh, the movie we're talking about today is Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Samurai. Uh, came out in 1967, but Ian, you have a, an exact date? Is that what you well, have the IMD, premiere? IMDb lists it as October 25th. Great. Look at that. The so, premiere date. So we, we missed the anniversary, but whatever. That's okay. I mean, the big cast, but ultimately this movie is centered around Alain? 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 Delon? Yeah. Alain? I'm not going to... Whatever. Yeah. Alain Delon. Um, he plays Jeff Costello. We also have... Um, Jeff with one F. Jeff with one F. Yes. Yes. Jeff. Jeff. With a short F sound, I guess. I don't know. Um, uh, Francois, I want to say Perrier. That sounds correct to me. As played the, the commissioner. Yeah. Uh, Great performance. Natalie Delon, who played Jane. And they were married from 1964 to 1969. Yep. And uh, the other, I would say the other character of note is uh, Kathy Rosier. As the pianist. As the pianist. Yes. Um, and if there's anybody else I feel like I'm leaving out, you can throw it out there. But I think those are the... The main yeah, those are, those are the players. It's unfortunate there aren't a lot of stats to talk about with this there's, movie. There's nothing on Box Office Mojo. There's no quotes that really stood out to me. Yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, the only I do like the quote that is actually in the book, though. Oh, go ahead. Um, Derek Malcolm's quote from the Guardian as a sort of retrospective interview in 2000 where he says, it is difficult to see how this story could be better accomplished. It has all the best virtues of American film noir, but with a European sensibility. Yeah. Ebert, not an original review of it, but later in life in, uh, in 97 wrote a review. Um, he said, there is nothing absolutely original in Le Samurai except for the handling of the material. Melville pairs down and leaves out. He disdains artificial action sequences and manufactured payoffs. He drains the color from his screen and the dialogue from his characters. At the end, there is a scene that cries out, in Hollywood terms anyway, for a last dramatic, enigmatic statement. But Melville gives us banalities and then silence. He has been able to keep constantly in mind his hero's chief business. Which I like. Well, and I, I wish that I had written down the cinematographer's name because I'll go straight. The unsung hero of this film is the cinematography. It's it good. Is stark and beautiful in places. Uh, Melville said 
this quote that I really, really like. He said he wanted to make a black and white film in color. Oh, he absolutely did that. And I, I, think, I think he accomplished that. And I, I, I heard that after I saw the movie. Yeah. And when I heard it, I was like, man, that's good job. Well, to the point, even the bird, the, the female bullfinch, is devoid of color. It, it's a, it's essentially a black and gray bird. And, and now do you know, do you know why he chose it was that one specifically? Well, because the the male had a, an orange breast. Yes, yes. Yeah. Which I love. I mean, that's just that's that great specific detailed. Yeah. That's that's direct. That's what directors need to be. They need to have that kind of specific details in Absolutely. order to tell the story they want to tell. The, the best directors have that kind yeah, of attention. Exactly. Um, the only kind of accolade I found uh, was that uh, Empire Magazine in 2010 ranked it the 39th best film in world cinema. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what that means, what that encompasses. Yeah, what their criteria was for but, it. But really. um, I'm glad it's on something because it's a good it's a good film and I think it deserves some kind of an accolade. Well, and I know? wish I wish Empire Magazine was better known having grown up in the UK sure. as I've mentioned before. Empire Magazine is so prolific. I remember there. is it Empire and is it uh, a total film is that another Yeah, yeah. But Empire is the the kind of cream of the crop. Sure. I I just I remember going to Barnes and Noble in like even in high school and in college and like spending the unfortunate amount of money to to get an to get oh an Oh my god, it's set. like twice the price over here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awful. Rotten Tomatoes though, it's got a perfect it's one of the few films we've done so far that has a hundred percent. Yep, and the audience not too far behind either with ninety four. Do you do you remember the other film we did that had a hundred percent? Because I'm blanking on it. Uh, well, I, well, you know, uh, you already ruined the, uh, the, the 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 podcast reality that we have here. One that we're gonna talk about. The Grapes of Wrath, I know. Yes, yeah, yeah. that, That's there. You go. There's a preview upcoming episode. Grapes of Wrath, which was a poll that you hopefully, if you're listening to this, could have voted in. And, we'll, and we'll, we'll say thank you again when we get to the episode, but yep. thank you for voting yep. in the polls that we're putting up. Oh, the other one that was 100% was Stalker. Oh, was it? Yes, it was. Wow, I'm surprised by that. But are you really? Now that, now that Stalker has had some time to sit, let's digress a little bit. No, no. Does it still... I still enjoy it. Excellent. I'm just surprised to hear that it was that universally yeah. enjoyed. Now, that, that does surprise me. I still need to pick up that criterion, which I believe Barnes & Noble sale will have ended by the time this airs, but I will have picked it up before. I have, I have picked up a few. Digressing all over the place. Uh, that's what we do. Yeah. Try and keep us on topic, I dare you. Plot-wise, it's not too complicated. No. We, we meet our contract killer, Jeff. He is prepping... For a killing, he is going through the meticulous yet wonderfully mesmerizing details of planning his alibi. He steals a car in a very oh, that interesting way with the huge key ring of keys. Which Jim Jarmusch, I mean, we should talk. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt the, the, the plot no? synopsis as we go here. But, I mean, this film has influenced everyone. Oh. John Woo, Walter Hill, Nicholas Winding Refn. Tarantino. Tarantino, Anton Corbin. Uh, for me, it wasn't on the the list that I found of people that influenced. But for me, there's something of there's something of William Friedkin in it too, as far as its attention to detail and its proceduralness. Especially, I think about something when I saw this, I instantly started. And not because it's it's a French film necessarily, no, but, but the Fr- French yeah. connection yeah, I can see that. instantly came to mind in the way that it's it's meticulous with detail. Yeah, and then sorry, please continue. Oh, with so this so um, so he he's stealing a car. He's taking it to a place getting new plates, getting um, getting new papers. He then goes and sees his girlfriend. I think we can assume that that's his girlfriend, but the kind of character he is, it might just be a, a woman that he knows. That, was, that relationship is like an accomplice. Yeah. Maybe was, she gets a cut kind of yes. thing for being his alibi. And he sets up, you know, how long was I here? 
and they 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 come up with a timeline because somebody else is gonna is gonna is expected Mr. at her Warner. place, and then he goes to uh, what's, what seems to be a, a hotel room full of uh, other bad guys playing cards. He says, "I'll be back." As they cards. do, I mean, because I just assume there's hotel rooms all over the world which are you know filled with cigar smoking hoodlums. Yeah. That's what makes the world go round, my that's friend. A, that's a reasonable assumption. Yeah, I, I would like so. to get in on some of those card games. Sure. But... Yeah. Yeah. Even just be a fly on the wall. Yeah. And then he he goes to this club, Marte's, and with you know he tries not to be seen, but very astutely and without without any real preamble, he walks into the back, walks into this office, and kills, I believe, the owner of the club. Well, here's where I'll interject. What I like about him. He, he kills two people in this film. And there's something of... And this is where I think the, the title of Le Samurai uh, is really poignant, is that he, there's, an, there's a sense of honor in his killing. Mm-hmm. He allows the men that he kills to draw guns on him first. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I love that detail. And so he's leaving the club. The pianist happens to make direct eye contact with him. And he lingers. Yep. Almost like he wants to be seen. And that, that was the thing, as I'm watching the film, I'm like, this guy isn't very stealthy. Like, he's letting practically the bartender, there's a whole group of guys at a table that he allows. His, it's well, almost were, like he wants to be seen by these people. But it reminded me a little bit of that idea of in The Godfather, where after Michael kills the the other kingpin and the police uh, lieutenant. Uh, Salazzo. Salazzo, thank you, yes. Yeah. That, Come on, man. Well, um, <laughs> that, this idea that don't run. No. Drop your gun. Don't run, but don't walk. Don't make eye contact. This but idea don't, of, of don't look away either. Yes, and that's kind of what I got was this yeah. idea of like I, I don't know. If so I we can add we can add Coppola. Caught. We can add Coppola then to that sure. list. Well, and you know, it's so stupid that that it was when it was released in the U.S. It was released as the Godson, which I I tried to find some kind of clue about why it was renamed. Did you find anything? I did. Oh, excellent. It is in the Criterion um, essay. Oh, and excellent. it is said that because it was released years later in the U.S. and it was released after The Godfather was uh, released, and so they thought they'd cash in somehow on The Godfather's success and call it The Godson. I'm sure that didn't work out well for them. I mean, well, wh- the, how would you draw that connection? This is the second second movie we've done that had an alternate title, and and the other one being A Matter of Life and Death with its alternate st- uh, Stairway to Heaven title. Ultimately, I think both original titles are far superior yeah. to. The Godson, listen, it, it was called The Godson when it was re- released in the U.S. Its title is Le Samurai. It's Le Samurai. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Um, so anyways, yes, he is seen. He leaves the club. He goes to the woman's... The, uh, LaGrange is her name. Uh, I have her for... I have Jane. Oh, yeah. The but last yes, one, Jane yeah. LaGrange. Um, and he goes... He he makes sure that Werner sees him. Yes, again, yes, he, making sure that he is exactly, in these he get, places he's supposed yeah, to be. Exactly, and he what he does to help is as before he leaves, he turns on the like entry light mm-hmm. of her apartment complex, and walks past him as he's coming in. He then goes to the card place, and then that that's kind of where he is. Cut to the commissioner, basically saying round up, basically saying round up the usual suspects. I want this many suspects in custody in the next hour. Yeah. 40 suspects or something, yeah. some arbitrary he has number. Some, he has some funny quote. But rather specific he says, quote. He says, what's 400 suspects in a city of 10 million? Because, you know, every district well, brings that's, so many that's in. what I like about this, this that character. He's so pragmatic. He's, he's very... Uh, 
before by the book before we can go go any further on in the plot i do have to say that i think what just it clocks in just under 10 minutes the first word of dialogue is spoken and it's simply her just saying jeff yeah but but like you don't care it is oh, it's so, so interesting. I found myself not taking enough notes. I barely have any notes on this. Yeah, it was. It was, yeah, it was I felt myself I very much. In. I should honestly should have watched it again to take more notes. But well, but, alas. but but that's that's also a good compliment of the film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a few things you could say better about that. Yeah. Oh, totally. And so the police end up raiding the card game that he's at. They ask where he was, and he says, but. They asked how long he'd been in the room, and he'd only been there for a little bit. So the police escort him to headquarters, and then the lineup, which is this really great, great scene. And they they go through a couple of people before they get to him. He explains where he was. And then there's the people from the club who had seen him. Now, some of them said that they recognize him. Some of them don't. Oh, he had a light hat. No, he had a dark hat. No, he had a mustache. But This is great. Yes, yes. But there's enough suspicion that they keep him. Yeah. And then they, they have to confirm the alibi. So Jane and Mr. Warner come in. They're in separate rooms, and she doesn't want to have to admit that that Mr. Mr. Warner isn't just her her lone male friend. And so she's admitting that, yeah, he was there. And then they make Mr. Warner do this really great scene where they He's have probably to... probably one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, I love it. Because he, he, Mr. Mr. Warner... Um, Self describes himself as not a very not a man of great memory. Yeah. That he like uh, you can put me in a room, but I don't think I'm gonna recognize him. And so they they take Costello's outfit. They put give him a different coat and a different hat. And I love I love. And after he looks at all the men, he goes, "It's it's like an amalgamation of these guys." Yeah, he makes it's, a. Yeah, I have a composite. I yes, think a composite. Yes. yes, it's this guy's coat with this guy's hat, but it was this guy's face, and it, of course Jeff's face. And his coat and his hat. And it's this wonderful, perfect little moment. Oh, the commissioner is so pissed. Yes. And the commissioner lets everybody go. Or not everybody. He lets Jane and Mr. Warner and ultimately lets Jeff go. But that doesn't mean he's done with him. Yeah. You have great sequences of the cops tracking him through the metro, losing him. And then we come to probably what I think is, is one of the most dynamic shots in the entire film. And so I'll just tell you what my favorite shot is right now. is It's that shot of meeting his contact where he's supposed to get paid Mm -hmm. the other half of the two million francs or or whatever it's supposed to be yeah and then you have the shot which i think is probably where i drew the french connection the french connection yeah Yeah. Ah, there it is i wasn't gonna make a pun but there you go what yeah oh whatever it's the lowest form of humor sir (laughs) whatever i'm not getting paid (laughs) it's that it's that shot of where his contact pulls the gun on him and then you have the shot from across on another bridge through the, the chain link fence of yeah. him, you know, one-upping him. And it's a very dynamic tracking shot of him flipping him over. And then, of course, the guy gets away and mm-hmm. has to report to the bosses that, oh, I failed. I didn't kill him. And so now we find our, I guess we call him the protagonist. It's hard because he's a contract killer. But we find our, yeah, our protagonist. Yeah. yeah. We find uh, Our Jeff, anti-hero, if you will. Yes. We find him in a bit of a pickle because... He's been shot. He's been shot. The people who hired him to do the killing are not happy that he was arrested. They feel like ultimately he's going to get caught, and so they're worried about their own end. And the cops aren't, aren't giving up on Costello as a witness, as, as the prime suspect for this murder. Right. They're conspiring to break down Jane's alibi. Yes. So the police put a wire in his room. Which, I'm going to stop you with that wire. I know this is 1967, 
how ridiculous is that scene? The 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 thing that he uses that that listening device is massive. Oh, you wait, Dookie, Now, do you mean what they actually put they're, they're in both, Jeff's room, or what the guy no, does to listen to it? Both. I mean, well, that I get the the tape thing. That's but yeah. the the actual listening device is is huge. It is pretty big. And the way that he just hides it behind a curtain, like he's never gonna draw the curtains. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. 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 That wasn't the. No, but, I mean, I can't but, defend it. But it works. It kind of works great because you have the, uh, and I'll just go out on a limb again. I'll I'll ruin something that we usually do at the end. The bird is the bird the unsung hero for you. Again, another <laughs> pun for you. If we're gonna do puns, let's just go out on a limb. Because the bird kind of t- when he comes back to the apartment, the bird kind of tips him off that something's wrong. Yes, and I I did I did like that. I definitely won't say the bird is the unsung hero of the movie, but but and I also did feel bad for the guy listening on the tape because Jeff is a man of few words. That's very true. That tape is going to be full of that bird singing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not going out of my way to make fun of the movie. It's a great movie. It's just little things that amused amused me as we went along. What did you, what did you hear? Well, sir, um, I heard a bird for hours on end. The bird in fact was the word. Hey, Oh, and so, uh, Jeff is licking his wounds and he goes back, Back to, to the, the club, the and I love how the bartender goads him. Yeah, uh, returning to the scene of the crime is almost an admission of guilt or something like that. Oh, and we we should say that the commissioner does one more check in with the witnesses to say, you, "Can you say for sure that this is the man?" And I think one I think one woman says yes, and all the other guys are like no, or they're not sure enough. But when he gets to the pianist, she who def- clearly, clearly saw him, and the first time asked, says, this is definitely him. The second time around, she says, it is definitely not him. Which is kind of a clue that maybe she's in on something. Potentially, exactly. Yes. So Jeff goes back to the club, basically says, I need to talk to you. And they meet up later. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't say that. Well, he as she leaves the club, he jumps into the car. Exactly, exactly. And he, he basically says the exact same thing. You know, you, you saw me, so that means either you don't remember or you were told to not remember. Yes. Which is a great little line. It's a great little... This thing is full. And as the... I mean, this is why I mentioned the quote that's in the book from Derek Malcolm. I mean, this film is just full of those little noir tropes from the 40s and 50s and, uh, and writers like Raymond Chandler and uh, instantly things like Double Indemnity jumped into my Ooh, mind. I can't watching wait to get to Double Indemnity. Oh, can't so wait. Good. Uh, um, but it does. It's got that very stripped down. As he says, it's got the European sensibilities. It's very stripped down. It's very to the point. It's going to, you know, it's not a very long film. Um, an hour and 40 yeah, it some was, odd minutes. And, the, and, and, the, and I mean, I'm not sure if he could have made it longer, but it did. It moved along so nice. Ooh. It just clipped right along. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, Criterion features documentaries on it was this, uh, I, I'm going to say his name right, I think it's like Re, uh, it's like R-U-I Noguera. He's mm-hmm. a, I think he's a, he's a big Melville fan. And he described Melville as a controlled minimalist. That's perfect. And I was like, man, yep, again, you, people, when they when they get that phrase and they can just pare it down to what, and that's it. That It was controlled minimalism yes. was that movie. In terms of the way it was shot, the dialogue. The pacing. Yeah, yep, it's exactly. Yep. And we don't get a lot of information from the pianist, but basically he believes that who that she can lead him to the guys that hired him because he doesn't, he just has a contact. He just has a middleman. He doesn't exactly. actually know who's 
wanting these hits. Yeah. And who's paying him, essentially. And around the same time comes one of my favorite scenes. Not my not my favorite scene, but but my unsung hero is Jane. Yes. And in this scene where the commissioner comes in and tries to get her to flip. Well, it's there's got a great long take in it where he, he keeps getting up from the bed and pacing and sitting back down on the bed. And he's she's just there very cool and calm and collected. But the commissioner is trying to, I feel put her off yeah. with, oh, with the amount that he's pacing and moving absolutely. around the room. And he's and, not doing a whole lot. He's and, just... Oh, no. but And there's a moment where she... It looks like she's letting... Like, her shield's been broken a little bit. And, and she, she's like, oh, so I'll, I'll be... I'll, like, nothing will happen to well, me if I... Because he, he threatens her reputation. Yeah. Essentially. And there's that moment where... There's just a brief one where it looks like she might crack. And then she gets up and opens the door. And, and I... I mean, this movie is about Costello, but... In the few scenes she has, she is mesmerizing. Oh, she she steals it. She's great. No, you keep going. You're, you're we're getting close to the end of the film. Like I said, it's not a very long film. Yeah. You have the uh, the chase, the kind of semi chase through the metro, which the book calls out as being reminiscent of Fritz Lang, and uh, I lo- where they're tracking him yeah. on the big metro. Which I loved that that old school metro board. Where the, Everybody the, would turn on their little their yeah their tracking device exactly yeah. like old school GPS kind of stuff. It was yeah, yeah it was I and that headquarters and when they would lose him and when he kind of find I mean he knows he's being tailed right but that one woman seems to be following him for the longest amount of time and he he hops the railway yeah. and just bolts and yeah. he's able to lose it and and again we get we kind of well we forgot the part where. The guy who he met on the bridge ends up being in his apartment. Yes, yeah, sorry, we did skip over that, which is a great, another great section of the film, and yeah. probably I think my favorite section of the film. Is, I think I would agree with that. Again, the uh, the bird does a great job tipping him off to something is wrong. Yeah, that somebody's either been in the room or somebody is in the room, and he, you know, the guy gets the drop on him at first. I was legit. I legit jumped when he broke oh, through really? the window. Oh, I was like, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, that scared the crap out it's, of me. It's good. Yeah, it is really good. And then of course he he manages to overcome him. Yeah, because the guy's like, you don't say much. And he's like, well, I I have a habit of not speaking to men holding guns. Of course, he drops the gun, and therefore gives Jeff a chance to, to overpower him yeah, and leaves him there tied up yep. with the, the little bit of information that he gets. Yes, yes. And then, of course, then we have the Metro chase yep. leading yep. to a kind of repetition of the beginning of the film where he steals another car yep. with that great key. I love this. The whole keychain just full of you know, car keys, and he just sits there very calmly. He's not looking around. He's just, he's not moving very much. He lays the keys out. On but the, the on second the time next... that he steals a car, he is a little more... Yeah, he, he's, well, he's been running. He knows that he's only got a limited amount of time to yeah. do this. And I, I brought up the list of people who are inspired by this film because Jarmusch does a similar thing in Ghost Dog with mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker in yeah. the way that he steals the car. He has the big keychain full of different car keys yeah. and things like that and then of course he comes back to the guy who changes plates on the car for him like at the beginning of the film and he gives him the warning this is the last yeah. time jeff which I, I love we don't we don't we don't know much about that yeah, guy we don't have any idea what this relationship is but just from that one line of dialogue you know that this is this easy and jeff doesn't argue with him although can i just side tangent about that guy i don't know his name as an actor yeah the, the guy in the garage who yeah. fixes the plates but he was a longtime friend of melville Oh, really? And apparently he was dying of lung cancer. And there was really kind of an emotional moment where he says, I'm, this is the last time. Oh, so that... And it was kind of almost like him as the actor telling Melville, like, I can't do this anymore. And was this his last film? It was. Oh, man, that's really touching. Yeah. That, that really adds a whole nother layer. Yeah, the guy did it as a, as a favor. 
to Melville because they they'd worked together before. I think on um, on Bob the Gambler, which is the other film by Melville in the book. Wait, isn't Le Circle Rouge in here? No. Oh, I looked. No, it, he's only got one other in there. I thought it was two. I oh, screw it. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna watch Le Circle Rouge anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll watch it before Bob the Gambler. There we um, go. Because like. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but like A Matter of Life and Death, which now I'm more excited to see more Pal and Pressburger films. Probably even the ones that aren't in the book. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Major. This this makes me want to go see. I've never seen any other Melville stuff, so well, I'm excited to yeah. to do that, to break into that a little yeah. bit more. Anyways, we we're, we're close up to the end. So, yeah, so he, he ends up... He, he finds the guy. Yep. Again, gives him enough time to draw... In his very Bushido-like way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and, and uh, Costello kills him, and... Then he returns to the club yes. for the last time. Yes, because he has pieced together that the pianist was a part of this, and there's a great shot... Are you going to talk about where he's the, he, he lets the bartender watch him put the white gloves on? No, but you but go ahead. That Oh, I was that that's the well, only No, I was saying, before he goes back in for that last time, he opens the gun... And we see that there are six bullets in that gun. Yeah. And at some time between that point and going in there, let's leave something out for a moment, he walks right up to the pianist who keeps playing and she knows something's going on. And in between, there's the moment I mentioned where he lets the, the bartender, he, he tips the bartender off that something's going to happen. He's looking right at that bartender putting those gloves oh, on. That look, he, that's a thousand yards. He's not just looking at the bartender, he's looking through him. Oh, yeah. Then he walks up to the pianist and... He has this look like he's going to do something to her. And before he can pull out the gun and really do anything, he is shot multiple times. The cops have found him. They've tracked him. They've they've stormed the place. And our anti-hero is dead. And the last thing we ever really see is they open the gun and there are no bullets in it. And we have that beautiful pullback. That, that, yeah. The beautiful reverse, the pullback where you get the entire the, the scene of the crime Yep, with him dead on the floor. And everybody kind of, the band kind of, Disintegrating. Everybody's walking away, and I, the, the the pianist is left. Right? Is she? Is she just yes. kind of left there? Yeah. In that moment. Yeah. yeah. So the film, for me, as I as the film ends, there's a moment in the scene we talk about where you mentioned your unsung hero of the Jane character. Mm-hmm. She calls the commissioner, the inspector. She calls him a fatalist. Well, that's not entirely true. The film does deal in fatalism, but as it turns out, it's Jeff who is a fatalist, and from that scene that comes right at the end, we get the subtext that this is his, he wants out. He, he doesn't, he wants out of this life. Maybe he's been wanting out of it for a while. And now he's finally found his excuse. He's found his way to essentially suicide by cop himself. That's interesting. And you kind of bring up, you know, how long he's been doing it. Cause he, I think they mentioned he's around 30. He's yeah. not, he's not old. He's not very old, but he has, as the name implies, He's a samurai, as we mentioned. He gives people the chance to, to draw their guns on him or draw a weapon on him before he kills them. He does have a sense of honor. Yeah. So this life clearly has been eating at him. Yeah. Maybe he has been. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I'm reading into it too much. But maybe he has been looking for a way out. Who knows? Well, you know what's so funny? The opening of the of the movie, he's he's lying in bed and we see the billows of smoke come up as he's smoking. and is that Which is just a stark, the, the grays. Yeah. Like you say, it's a black and white film that's shot in color. Yeah. It's, uh, that's such a striking shot. And again, you mentioned we'd get to it, the, the quote from the Bushido, which uh, Melville actually made up. Yes. The quote is, um, there's no greater solitude than the samurais unless it is that of the tiger in the jungle. And I love the dot, 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 perhaps. Yeah. But so in that opening shot, and, and the camera's not moving. We're just getting, you know, the titles. 
we're, we're getting it's you know we can hear it's raining outside he's smoking it's it's this really stark image but did you catch that really intense camera in focus out of focus mm. right at the top of the movie yeah yeah and we don't see anything like that again yeah the entire film and i don't know i don't know what that means but i think what it tells us is that this is different than how it normally is like I, I feel like we're that light may in a sense that the the camera itself is coming in and out of focus. His life's purpose is losing focus. There's for something, him. yeah, something. I feel like that 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 idea of the of the camera going in and out of focus in that moment. It's not. I don't think it's accidental, and I don't think it's just. Oh, this is going to look interesting. I think that there is a legitimate reason in the storytelling of why it happens. Oh, I love that. And I I can't I can't totally piece it together. I mean, I'm trying to make it work with what you're saying. You know that yeah, yeah. maybe he's he's had enough of this, and it's just. It's eaten at him, and that could be it. But I, I think something is is yeah. up. And if you don't want to read into it, you could also draw parallels to an episode that we did right at the beginning of us doing these podcasts, is Requiem for a Dream, where the film starts with an orchestra tuning up. Mm-hmm. In the same way, that could be the cameraman and the rigging crew. It's them tuning up, yeah, getting ready to tell this story. If if you want to look at it from a from an artistic point of view rather than a metaphorical one, sure, yeah. But I, I like yours better. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, I just, yeah, it just stuck with me. It was so... Because I couldn't... I wasn't blinking. I, even though it was just titles and I was really trying to study the room. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the camera was just doing that thing. And I, I, I actually sat up. I was like, okay, all right. What's, what's going on? We're in for something special What is here. this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then, of course, it leads into him putting on his costume of sorts, the trench coat, yes. the hat, and the way that he puts on the hat, yep. the way he adjusts the brim. Of course, it makes perfect sense for Criterion to have used that as the cover. I mean, oh, it's totally. one of the most striking images and in the film. I do, the, the fastidiousness of him with, with doing that, the the coat, the hat, even the way that he kind of dressed his wound, there mm-hmm. was just something so, the way the way he took the keys off and, and like, Look straight ahead. He's not drawing attention to the fact that he has keys. He just sets the next one down, yep. draws the next one. Do you feel like the way he dressed his wound? I instantly thought of No Country for Old Men, with Javi- not not the way that Josh Brolin dresses his wound, but the way that Javier Bardem dresses his. The very clinical way in which he does it. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel I get like that. Bardem could have been influenced by because it's a very similar minimalist performance. That's true. That's true. And they're and it both and both pretty much doing the exact same thing. You know, yeah. killing people for money. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say that Bardem had... Oh, he's definitely seen this film. Yeah, yeah you gotta think. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine the Coen brothers have as well. I mean, their first film was very noirish. What I was going to say, it seemed like maybe... maybe talk about Blood Simple? Yeah. I was say, I think that's kind of... I think they probably more heavily influenced uh, in that film than No Country. Yeah. Although No Country is still pretty sparse in its dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and in, but, and in the same way in its music. That's from, another parallel that I drew it wasn't until the end of this film that I realized how little music is in it and all the music well not all but a lot of it is is practical it's coming from yeah, exactly. the, the club where and I think there's there's almost no music in yeah, no country yeah. oh yeah though no, yeah very little with them with that film it's more sound design in the same way where this is just really the soundtrack is the sound design yeah yeah, yeah. um there's this great this uh, great little anecdote so the 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 garage where he gets the car worked on and yeah. the new plates. So when they were they were on location scouting that, and Melville looked at at the the street and the garage and told told uh, Delon that, look, just just come in and turn, and you're, it, it's too tight to actually make it, and so we'll cheat it. We'll 
So you, and then we'll, we'll cut oh, and, to you and he, inside the garage. And he did it in one. Yep. In his one beautiful sweeping motion. Yep, yep. He, that's, that's pretty slick. Yeah. It talks about how... Well, it's also slick how he got the role as well when, when Melvie was I describing like the story. Him and, and he said, well, come with me. And he takes him back into his room, which is dressed very similar to how the Jeff character's room is dressed. And all he had, he had that very, that same drab sparseness with a set of samurai swords. Yeah. So the other thing, the only other thing I, I wanted to bring up is obviously the movie, it's a kind of a downbeat ending, yeah. um, which is which is fine when movies, movies can end like that. Well, it's a, no, it's a noir. I think noirs are maybe supposed to end like that. Sure. You know, you do, it's funny because part of you wants them to live, but it's also like, is that the story they were trying to tell? Well, anyways, there's, apparently they filmed an alternate ending. Now, it's not a huge shift to the end of the movie. Oh, it's where he knows what he's doing. It's more apparent that he knows what he's doing, and he's smiling Smiles. when he dies. Yes, yeah. How do you feel about that? I like it the way it is. Yeah, like more of a more of a mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like more of the ambiguity. About I think, it. I think I, what I read is there's an, the image of that is out there. Like in, a, in another film where he has a death scene, he's smiling when he dies, and Melville's like, "Well, I don't want you to repeat yourself, and I don't want to feel like I'm copying that." Or yeah. Something. I mean, again, I took notes, and I'm sure I could get more into detail, but. I just really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. I was engrossed the entire time. It's another one of those where like, I, I knew that I wanted it to stay in the book after I saw it, but even as we sit here talking about it, our discussing it is furthering my appreciation for it. Yeah, as I, I hope anybody who has seen it listening to this, will hopefully it will further their appreciation of it, or anybody who's seeing it for the first time can use our, our ideals about it to, to help. Exactly, exactly. Appreciation. And, and we've mentioned this before that, that you know, we're – and part of us doing this podcast is to push each other and push ourselves to see films that we haven't seen. But part of it, too, is to be pushed by you. So, yes, thank you, know, you for, at for some, recommending this yes, one. At some point we, yes, at some point we would have gotten to this movie, but maybe not as soon as we did. But we went out there. We, we asked, what do you guys want to hear about? You came to us. We heard La Samurai. We, we put it on our on our next round of recording. And I... I can say with with certainty that I'm really glad that we did. Yeah, so am I. And uh, it is a it is a yes from me, Ian. Should this be in the book? It is a yes from me. Great, great. So two yeses, uh, three if you include the person who told us to watch this movie. But we want to hear what you think. So uh, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, uh, follow us, like us, comment. We we've been getting more and more comments, more and more. Uh, back and forth with you and that's that's what we love we want this to be more interactive um keep looking for polls keep looking for ways that you can be involved in the show um you can listen to us on google play and spotify and itunes that's the big one um subscribe like comment rate all those wonderful things if you happen to know somebody who works at criterion put them in touch with us because every time we mention a movie that is a criterion we are going to mention it not because not just because we want their sponsorship, although we do, but we truly appreciate the work that they do with their restorations and the supplemental material. So you absolutely—I mean, you—you you pay a premium for their stuff, but you absolutely get your money's worth. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree any more with that. So uh, that's a yes from both of us, and we definitely enjoyed this movie. Until next time, I am Adam, and I am Ian, and we will see you next week. 